Chapter Nine of Lad a Dog by Albert Payson Terhune. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Greg Giordano. Chapter Nine Speaking of Utility. The man huddled frowsily in the tree crotch like a rumpled and sick raccoon. At times he would crane his thin neck and peer about him, but more as if he feared rescue than as though he hoped for it. Then, before slumping back to his sick raccoon pose, he would look murderously earthward and swear with lurid fervor. At the tree-foot the big dog wasted neither time nor energy in frantic barking or in capering excitedly about. Instead, he lay at majestic ease, gazing up toward the treed man with grave attentiveness. Thus, for a full half-hour, the two had remained, the treer and the treed. Thus, from present signs, they would continue to remain until Christmas. There is, by tradition, something intensely comic in the picture of a man treed by a dog. The man, in the present case, supplied the only element of comedy in the scene. The dog was anything but comic, either in looks or in posture. He was a collie, huge of bulk, massive of shoulder, deep and shaggy of chest. His forepaws were snowy and absurdly small. His eyes were seal-dark and sorrowful, eyes that proclaimed not only an uncannily wise brain, but a soul as well. In brief, he was lad, official guard of the place's safety. It was in this role of guard that he was now serving as jailer to the man he had seen slouching through the undergrowth of the forest, which grew close up to the place's outbuildings. From his two worshipped deities, the mistress and the master, Lad had learned in puppyhood the simple provisions of the guest law. He knew, for example, that no one openly approaching the house along the driveway from the furlong distant high road was to be molested. Such a visitor's advent, especially at night, might lawfully be greeted by a salvo of barks. But the barks were a mere announcement, not a threat. On the other hand, the law demanded the instant halting of all prowlers, or of anyone seeking to get to the house from road or lake by circuitous and stealthy means. Such roundabout methods spell trespass. Every good watchdog knows that. But wholly good watchdogs are far fewer than most people. Even their owners realize. Lad was one of the few. Today's trespasser had struck into the place's grounds from an adjoining bit of woodland. He had moved softly and obliquely, and had made little furtive dashes from one bit of cover to another as he advanced toward the outbuildings a hundred yards north of the house. He had moved cleverly and quietly. No human had seen or heard him. Even Lad, sprawling half asleep on the veranda, had not seen him. For, in spite of theory, a dog's eye by daylight is not so keen or so far-seeing as is a human's. But the wind had brought news of a foreign presence on the place, a presence which Lad's hasty glance at driveway and lake edge did not verify. So the dog had risen to his feet, stretched himself, collie fashion, fore and aft, 
and trotted quickly away to investigate. Scent, and then sound, taught him which way to go. Two minutes later he changed his wolf-trot to a slow and unwontedly stiff-legged walk, advancing with head lowered, and growling softly far down in his throat. He was making straight for a patch of sumac, ten feet in front of him, and a hundred feet behind the stables. Now, when a dog bounds towards a man, barking with head up, there is nothing at all to be feared from his approach. But when the pace slackens to a stiff walk, and his head sinks low, that is a very good time indeed for the object of his attentions to think seriously of escape or of defense. Instinct or experience must have imparted this useful truth to the lurker in the sumac patch. For as the great dog drew near, the man incontinently wheeled and broke cover. At the same instant Lad charged. The man had a ten-foot start. This vantage he utilized by flinging himself bodily at a low-forked hickory tree directly in his path. Up the rough trunk to the crotch he shinnied, with the speed of a chase cat. Lad arrived at the tree bowl barely in time to collect a mouthful of cloth from the climber's left trouser ankle, after which, since he was not of the sort to clamor noisily for what lurked beyond his reach, the dog yawned and lay down to keep guard on his arboreal prisoner. For half an hour he lay thus, varying his vigil once or twice, by sniffing thoughtfully at a ragged scrap of trouser-cloth between his little white forepaws. He sniffed the thing as though trying to commit its scent to memory. The man did not seek help by shouting. Instead, he seemed oddly willing that no other human should intrude on his sorry plight. A single loud yell would have brought aid from the stables, or from the house, or even from the lodge up by the gate. Yet, though the man must have guessed this, he did not yell. Instead, he cursed whisperingly at intervals, and snarled at his captor. At last, his nerve going, the prisoner drew out a jackknife, opened a blade at each end of it, and hurled the ugly missile with all its force at the dog. As the man had shifted his position to get at the knife, Lad had risen expectantly to his feet, with some hope that his captive might be going to descend. It was lucky for Lad that he was standing when the knife was thrown, for the aim was not bad, and a dog lying down cannot easily dodge. A dog standing on all fours is different, especially if he is a collie. Lad sprang to one side instinctively. As the thrower's arm went back, the knife whizzed harmless into the sumac patch. Lad's teeth bared themselves in something that looked like a smile, and was not. Then he lay down again on guard. A minute later he was up with a jump. From the direction of the house came a shrill whistle, followed by a shout of, Lad! Lad! It was the master calling him. The summons could not be ignored. Usually it was obeyed with eager gladness. But now, Lad looked worriedly up into the tree. Then, coming to a decision, he galloped away at top speed. In ten seconds he was at the veranda, where the master stood talking with a newly arrived guest. Before the master could speak to the dog, Lad rushed up to him, whimpering in stark appeal then ran a few steps toward the stables, paused, looked back, and whimpered again. "'What's the matter with him?' loudly demanded the guest, an obese and elderly man, right sportily attired. "'What ails the silly dog?' 
he's found something said the master something he wants me to come and see and he wants me to come in a hurry how do you know asked the guest because i know his language as well as he knows mine retorted the master he set off in the wake of the excited dog the guest followed in more leisurely fashion complaining of all the idiocy to let a measly dog drag you out of the shade on a red-hot day like this just to look at some dead chipmunk he's found perhaps stiffly agreed the master not slackening his pace but if lad behaves like that unless it's pretty well worth while he's changed a lot in the past hour a man can do worse sometimes than follow a tip his dog gives him have it your own way grinned the guest perhaps he may lead us to a treasure cave or to a damsel in distress i'm with you guy me if it amuses you said the master it does his guest informed him it amuses me to see any grown man think so much of a dog as you people think of lad it's maudlin my house is the only one within a mile on this side of the lake that has never been robbed was the master's reply my stable is the only one in the same radius that hasn't been rifled by harness and tire thieves thieves who seem to do their work in broad daylight too when the stables won't be locked i have lad to thank for all that he the dog had darted far ahead now he was standing beneath the low forked hickory tree staring up into it he's treed a cat guffawed the guest his laugh as irritating as a kick extra come out and get a nice sunstroke folks come and see the cat lad has treed the master did not answer there was no cat in the tree there was nothing visible in the tree lad's aspect shrank from hope to depression he looked apologetically at the master then he began to sniff once more at a scrap of cloth on the ground the master picked up the cloth and presently walked over to the tree from a jut of bark dangled a shred of the same cloth the master's hand went to lad's head in approving caress it was not a cat he said it was a man see the rags of oh piffle snorted the guest next you'll be reconstructing the man's middle name and favorite perfume from the color of the bark on the tree you people are always telling about wonderful stunts of lads and that's all the evidence there generally is to it no mr glore denied the master taking a strangle-hold on his temper no that's not quite all the evidence that we have for our brag about lad for instance we had the evidence of your own eyes when he herded that flock of stampeded prize sheep for you last spring and of your own eyes again when he won the gold hat cup at the labor day dog show no there's plenty of evidence that lad is worth his salt let it go at that shall we get back to the house it's fairly cool on the veranda by the way what was it you wanted me to call lad for you asked to see him and why here's the idea explained glore as they made their way through the heat back to the shade of the porch it's what i drove over here to talk with you about i'm making the rounds of all this region and say i didn't ask to see lad i asked if you still had him i asked because oh apologized the master i thought you wanted to see him most people ask to if he doesn't happen to be around when they call we i asked you if you still had him expounded mr glore because i hoped you hadn't 
i hoped you were more of a patriot patriot echoed the master puzzled yes that's why i'm making this tour of the country to rouse dog owners to a sense of their duty i've just formed a local branch of the food conservation league and it's a splendid organization warmly approved the master but what have dog owners to to do with it supplemented glore they have nothing to do with it more's the pity but they ought to that's why i volunteered to make this canvas it was my own idea some of the others were foolish enough to object but as i had founded and financed this hampton branch of the league what canvas are you talking about asked the master who was far too familiar with glore's ways to let the man become fairly launched on a paean of self-adulation you say it's to rouse dog owners to a sense of their duty along what line we dogmen have raised a good many thousand dollars this past year by our red cross shows and by our subscriptions to all sorts of war funds the blue cross too and the collie ambulance fund have this is something better than the mere giving of surplus coin broke in glore it is something that involves sacrifice a needful sacrifice for our country a sacrifice that may win the war count me in on it then cordially approved the master count in all real dogmen what is the sacrifice it's my own idea modestly boasted glore adding that is of course it's been agitated by other people in letters to newspapers and all that but i'm the first to go out and put it into actual effect well, shoot suggested the weary master that's the very word exclaimed glore that's the very thing i want dog owners to combine in doing to shoot to what to shoot or poison or asphyxiate expounded glore warming to his theme in short to get rid of every dog the master's jaw swung ajar and his eyes bulged his face began to assume an unbecoming pricky hue glore went on you see neighbor our nation is up against it when war was declared last month it found us unprepared we've got to pitch in and economize every mouthful of food wasted here is a new lease of life to the kaiser we're cutting down on sugar and meats and fat but for every cent we save that way we're throwing away a dollar and feeding our dogs our dogs that are a useless senseless costless luxury they serve no utilitarian end they eat food that belongs to soldiers i'm trying to brighten the corner where i am by persuading my neighbors to get rid of their dogs when i've proved what a blessing it is i'm going to inaugurate a nationwide campaign from california to new york from hold on snapped the master finding some of his voice and in the same effort mislaying much of his temper what wall-eyed idiocy do you think you're trying to talk how many dogmen do you expect to convert to such a crazy doctrine have you tried any others or am i the first mark i'm sorry you take it this way reproved glore i had hoped you were more broad-minded but you are as pig-headed as the rest the rest eh the master caught him up the rest then i'm not the first i'm glad they had sense enough to send you packing they were blind animal worshippers both of them said glure aggrievedly just as you are one of them yelled something after me that i sincerely hope i didn't hear aright 
if i did i have a strong action for slander against him the other chucklehead so far forgot himself as to threaten to take a shotgun to me if i didn't get off his land i'm sorry sighed the master for both of them seem to have covered the ground so completely that there isn't anything unique for me to say or do now listen to me for two minutes i've read a few of those anti-dog letters in the newspapers but you're the first person i've met in real life who backs such rot and i'm going it is not a matter for argument loftily began glore yes it is asserted the master everything is except religion and love and toothache you say dogs ought to be destroyed as a patriotic duty because they aren't utilitarian that's where you're wrong at the very beginning dead wrong i'm not talking about the big kennels where one man keeps a hundred dogs as he'd heard so many prize hogs they'll look what the owners of such kennels did for the country at the last new york show at madison square garden every penny of the thousands and thousands of dollars in profits from the show went to the red cross i'm speaking of the man who keeps one dog or two or even three dogs and keeps them as pets i'm speaking of myself if you like do you know what it costs me per week to feed my dogs i am not looking for statistics and no i suppose not few fanatics are well i figured it out a few weeks ago after i read one of those anti-dog letters the total upkeep of all my dogs averages just under a dollar a week a bare fifty dollars a year that's true and and that's fifty dollars interposed glure eagerly would pay for a soldier's it would not contradicted the master trying to keep some slight grip on his sliding temper but i can tell you what it would do part of it would go for burglar insurance which i don't need now because no stranger dares to sneak up to my house at night part of it would go to make up for things stolen around the place for instance in the harness room of my stable there are five sets of good harness and two or three extra automobile tires unless i'm very much mistaken the best of those would be gone now if lad hadn't just treed the man who was after them pshaw exploded glur in fine scorn we saw no man there there was no proof of there was proof enough for me continued the master and if lad hadn't scented the fellow out one of the other dogs would as i told you mine is the only house and mine is the only stable on this side of the lake that has never been looted mine is the only orchard and mine is the only garden that is never robbed and this is the only place on our side of the lake where dogs are kept at large for twelve months of the year my dogs entry fees at red cross shows have more than paid for their keep and those fees went straight to a charity but the women of my family are as safe here day and night as if i had a machine-gun company on guard that assurance counts for more than a little in peace of mind back here in the north jersey hinterland i'm not taking into account the several other ways the dogs bring in cash income to us and even the cash lad turned over to the red cross when we sent that sixteen hundred dollar gold hat cup he won to be melted down and i'm not speaking of our dog's comradeship and what that means to us our dogs are an asset in every way not a liability they aren't deadheads either for i pay the state tax on them every year they're true 
loyal companionable chums and they're an ornament to the place as well as its best safeguard all in return for table scraps and skim milk and less than a weekly dollar's worth of stale bread and cast-off butcher shop bones where do you figure out the saving for the war chest if i got rid of them as i said repeated glore with cold austerity it's not a matter for argument i came here hoping to i am not given to mawkish sentiment went on the master shamefacedly but on the day your fool law for dog exterminating goes into effect there'll be a piteous cry of little children all over the whole world of little children mourning for the gentle protecting playmates they loved and there'll be a million men and women whose lives have all at once become lonely and empty and miserable isn't this war causing enough crying and loneliness and misery without your adding to it by killing our dogs for the matter of that haven't the army dogs over in europe and doing enough for mankind to warrant a square deal for their stay-at-home brothers haven't they that's a mass of sentimental bosh declared glore all of it it is willingly confessed the master so are most of the worthwhile things in life if you reduce them to their lowest terms you know what a fine group of dogs i had said glore starting off on a new tack i had a group that cost me dog for dog more than any other kennel in the state grand dogs too you remember my wonderful merle for instance and and your rare prussian sheep-dog or was it a prune-hound that a chicago man sold to you for eleven hundred dollars supplemented the master swallowing a grin i remember i remember them all what then well resumed glore no one can accuse me of not practicing what i preach i began this splendid campaign by getting rid of every dog i owned so i yes agreed the master i read all about that last month in your local paper distemper had run through your kennel and you tried doctoring the dogs on a theory of your own instead of sending for a vet so they all died tough luck or perhaps you got rid of them that way on purpose for the good of the cause i'm sorry about the moral he was i see there's no use talking to you sighed glore in disgust ponderously rising and waddling toward his car i'm disappointed because i hoped you were less bone-brained and more patriotic than those yokels around here i'm not cheerily conceded the master i'm not i'm glad to say not a bit then pursued glore climbing into the car since you feel that way about it i suppose there's no use asking you to come to the little cattle show i'm organizing for a week after next because that's for the food conservation league too and since you're so out of sympathy with i'm not out of sympathy with the league asserted the master its card is in our kitchen window we've signed its pledge and we're boosting it in every way we know how except by killing our dogs and that's no part of the league's program as you know very well tell me more about the cattle show it's a neighborhood affair said glore sulkily yet eager to secure any possible entrance just a bunch of home-raised cattle cup and rosette for best of each recognized breed and the usual ribbons for second and third three dollars an entry only one class for each breed every entrant must have been raised by the exhibitor gate admission fifty cents red cross to get the gross proceeds i've offered the use of my south meadow at glore towers just as i did for the specialty dog show 
i've put up a hundred dollars toward the running expenses too bickelson's to judge i don't go in for stock raising said the master my little alderney heifer is the only head of quality stock i ever bred i doubt if she is worth taking up there but i'll be glad to take her if only to swell the competition list send me a blank please lad trotted dejectedly back to the house as glore's car chugged away up the drive lad was glumly unhappy he had had no trouble at all in catching the scent of the man he had treed he had followed the crashingly made trail through undergrowth and woodland until it had emerged into the high road and there perforce lad had paused for taught from puppyhood he knew the boundaries of the place as well as he did the mistress or the master and he knew equally well that his own jurisdiction ended at those boundaries beyond them he might not chase even the most loathed intruder the high road was sanctuary wherefore at the road edge he stopped and turned slowly back his pursuit was ended but not his anger nor his memory of the marauder's scent the man had trespassed slyly on the place he had gotten away unpunished these things rankled in the big dog's mind it was a pretty little cattle show and staged in a pretty setting withal at glore towers two weeks later the big sunken meadow on the verge of the ramapo river was lined on two sides with impromptu sheds the third side was blocked by something between a grandstand and a marquee the tree-hung river bordered the fourth side in the field centre was the roped-off judging enclosure into which the cattle class by class were to be led above the pastoral scene brooded the architectural crime known as the towers homestead and stronghold of hamilcar q glore esq glore had made much money in wall street a crooked little street that begins with a graveyard and ends in a river having waxed indecently rich he had erected for himself a hideously expensive estate among the ramapo mountains and had settled down to the task of patronizing his rural neighbors there he elected to be known as the wall street farmer a title that delighted not only himself but everyone else in the region there was in this hinterland stretch a friendly and constant rivalry among the natives and other old residents in the matter of stock raising horses cattle pigs chickens even a very few sheep were bred for generations along lines which their diverse owners had laid out lines which those owners fervently believed must some day produce perfection each owner or group of owners had his own special ideas as to the best way to produce the super stock result the local stock shows formed the only means of proving or disproving the excellence of the varied theories hence these shows were looked upon as barnyard supreme courts mr glore had begun his career in the neighborhood with a laudable aim of excelling everybody else in everything he had gone heart and soul into stock producing and as he had no breeding theories of his own he proceeded to acquire a set as it would necessarily take years to work out these beliefs he bridged the gap neatly by purchasing and importing prize livestock and by entering it against the home-raised products of his neighbors strangely enough this did not add to the popularity which he did not possess still more strangely it did not add materially to his prestige as an exhibitor for the judges had an exasperating way of handling him a second or third prize ribbon and then of awarding the coveted blue rosette to the owner and breeder 
of some local exhibit. After a long time it began to dawn upon Glore that narrow neighborhood prejudice deemed it unsportsmanlike to buy prize stock and exhibit it as one's own. At approximately the same time three calves were born to newly imported prize cows in the two-acre model barns of Glore Towers, and with them was born Glore's newest idea. No one could deny he had bred these calves himself. They were born on his own place, and of his own high-pedigreed cattle. Three breeds were represented among the trio of specimens. By points and by lineage they were well-nigh peerless. Wherefore the plan for a show of neighborhood home-raised cattle. At length Glore felt he was coming into his own. The hinterland folk had fought shy of Glore since the dog show wherein he had sought to win the capital prize by formulating a set of conditions that could be filled by no entrant except a newly imported champion Merle of his own. But the phrase home-raised now proved a bait that few of the region's stock lovers could resist, and on the morning of the show no fewer than fifty-two cattle of standard breeds were shuffling or lowing in the big impromptu sheds. A farmhand, the day before, had led to the showground, the place's sole entrant, the pretty little Alderney heifer, of which the master had spoken to Glore, and which, by the way, was destined to win nothing higher than a third-prize ribbon. For that matter, to end the suspense, the best of the three Glore calves won only a second prize, all the first for their three breeds going to non-plutocratic North Jerseymen, who had bred the ancestors of their entrance for six generations. The mistress and the master motored over to Glore Towers on the morning of the show in their one car. Lad went with them. He always went with them. Not that any dog had hoped to find interest in a cattle show, but a dog would rather go anywhere with his master than to stay at home without him. Witness the glad alacrity wherewith the weariest dog deserts a snug fireside in the vilest weather for the joy of a master accompanying walk. A tire puncture delayed the trip. The show was about to begin when the car was at last parked behind the sunken meadow. The mistress and the master, with Lad at their heels, started across the meadow afoot towards the well-filled grandstand. Several acquaintances in the stand waved to them as they advanced. Also, before they had traversed more than half the meadow's area, their host bore down upon them. Mr. Glore, dressed as usual for the occasion, looked like a blend of Landseer's Edinburgh Drover and a theatre program picture of what the man will wear. He had been walking beside a garishly livered groom who was leading an enormous Holstein bull toward the judging enclosure. The bull was steered by a five-foot bar. The end snapped to a ring in his nose. "'Hello, good people!' Mr. Glore boomed, pump-handling the unenthusiastic mistress's right hand, and bestowing a jarringly annoying slap upon the master's shoulder. "'Glad to see you. You're late.' almost too late for the best part of the show before judging begins i'm having some of my choicest european stock paraded in the ring just for exhibition you know not for a contest i like to give a treat to some of these farmers who think they know how to breed cattle yes queried the master who could think of nothing cleverer to say take that bull tenebris of mine for instance proclaimed glore with a wave toward the approaching Holstein and his guide. Best ton of livestock that ever stood on four legs. Look how he... Glore paused in his lecture, 
for he saw that both the mistress and the master were staring not at the bull but at the beast's leader the spectacle of a groom in gaudy livery on duty at a cattle show was all but too much for their gravity you're looking at that boy of mine eh fine well set up chap isn't he a faithful boy devoted to me slavishly devoted not like most of these grumpy independent jersey rustics not much he's a treasure winston is used to be chief handler for some of the biggest cattle breeders in the east he tells me i got hold of him by chance and just by the sheerest good luck a week or so ago met him on the road and he asked for a lift he it was then that lad disgraced himself and his deities and proved himself all unworthy to appear in so refined an assembly the man in livery had convoyed the bull to within a few feet of the proudly exhorting glore now without growl or other sign of warning the hitherto peaceable dog changed into a murder machine in a single mighty bound he cleared the narrowing distance between himself and the advancing groom the leap sent him hurtling through the air an eighty-pound fury catapult straight for the man's throat over and beyond the myriad cattle odors lad had suddenly recognized a scent that spelt deathless hatred the scent had been verified by a single glance at the brilliantly clad man in livery wherefore the mad charge the slashing jaws missed their mark in the man's throat by a bare half-inch that they missed it at all was because the man also recognized lad and shrank back in mortal terror even before the eighty-pound weight smashing against his chest sent the groom sprawling backward to the ground lad's slashing jaws had found a hold in place of the one they had missed this grip was on the livering shoulder into which the fangs sank to their depth down went the man screaming the dog atop of him lad cried the mistress aghast lad through the avenging rage that misted his brain the great dog heard with a choking sound that was almost a sob he relinquished his hold and turned slowly from his prey the master and glure instinctively took a step toward the approaching dog and the writhingly prostrate man then still more instinctively and without even coming to a standstill before going into reverse they both sprang back they would have sprang back further had not the roped walls of the show-ring checked them for tenebris had taken a sudden and active part in the scene the gigantic holstein during his career in europe had trebly won his title to champion and during the three years before his exportation to america he had gored to death no fewer than three overconfident stable attendants the bull's homicidal temper no less than the dazzling price offered by glore had caused his owner to sell him to the transatlantic bidder a bull's nose is the tenderest spot of his anatomy next to his eyes he guards its safety most zealously thus with a stout leading bar between him and his conductor tenebris was harmless enough but the conductor just now had let go of that bar as lad's weight had smitten him freed tenebris had stood for an instant in perplexity fiercely he flung his gnarled head to one side to see the cause of the commotion the gesture swung the heavy leading bar digging the nose-ring cruelly into his sensitive nostrils the pain maddened tenebris a final plunging twist of the head and the bar's weight tore the nose-ring free from the nostrils tenebris bellowed thunderously at the climax of pain 
than he realized he had shaken off the only thing that gave humans a control over him a second bellow a furious pawing of the earth and the bull lowered his head his evil eyes glared about him in search of something to kill it was the sight of this motion which sent the master in glore recoiling against the show-ring ropes in almost the same move the master caught up his wife and swung her over the top rope into the ring he followed her into that refuge's fragile safety with a speed that held no dignity whatever glore seeing the action wasted no time in wriggling through the ropes after him tenebris did not follow them one thing and only one his red eyes saw on the ground not six feet away rolled and moaned a man the man was down he was helpless tenebris charged a bull plunging at a nearby object shuts both eyes a cow does not which may or may not explain the spanish theory that bullfights are safer than cowfights to this eye-closing trait many a hard-pressed matador has owed his life tenebris both eyes screwed shut hurled his two thousand pound bulk at the prostrate groom head down nose in short horns on the level with the earth and barely clearing it he made his rush but at the very first step he became aware that something was amiss with his pleasantly anticipated charge it did not follow specifications or precedent all because a heavy something had flung its weight against the side of his lowered head and a new and unbearable pain was torturing his blood-filled nostrils tenebris swerved he veered to one side throwing up his head to clear it of this unseen torment as a result the half-lifted horns grazed the fallen man the pointed hooves missed him altogether at the same moment the weight was gone from against the bull's head and the throbbing stab from his nostrils pausing uncertainly tenebris opened his eyes and glared about him a yard or two away a shaggy dog was rising from the tumble caused by the jerky uptossing of the bull's head now were this a fiction yarn it would be interesting to devise reasons why lad should have flown to the rescue of a human whom he loathed and arrayed himself against the fellow beast toward which he felt no hatred at all to dogs all men are gods and perhaps lad felt the urge of saving even a detested god from the onslaught of a beast or perhaps not one can only go by the facts and the facts were that the collie had checked himself in the reluctant journey toward the mistress and had gone to his foe's defence with a flash of speed astonishing in so large and sedate a dog he had flown at the bull in time in the barest time to grip the torn nostrils and turn the whirlwind charge and now tenebra shifted his baleful glare from the advancing dog to the howling man the dog could wait the bull's immediate pleasure and purpose were to kill the man he lowered his head again but before he could launch his enormous bulk into full motion before he could shut his eyes the dog was between him and his quarry in one spring lad was at the bull's nose and again his white eye teeth slashed the ragged nostrils tenebris halted his own incipient rush and strove to pin the collie to the ground it would have been as easy to pin a whizzing hornet tenebris thrust at the clinging dog once more seeking to smash lad against the sod with his battering ram forehead and his short horns but lad was not there instead he was to the left his body clean out of danger his teeth in the bull's left ear a lunge of the tortured head sent lad rolling over and over 
but by the time he stopped rolling he was on his feet again not only on his feet but back to the assault back before his unwieldy foe could gauge the distance for another rush at the man and a keen nip in the bleeding nostrils balked still one more charge the bull snorting with rage suddenly changed his plan of campaign apparently his first ideas had been wrong it was the man who could wait and the dog that must be gotten out of the way tenebris wheeled and made an express train rush at lad the collie turned and fled he did not flee with tail down as befits a beaten dog brush waving aloft he gambled along at top speed just a stride or two ahead of the pursuing bull he even looked back encouragingly over his shoulder as he went lad was having a beautiful time seldom had he been so riotously happy all the pent-up mischief in his soul was having a glorious airing the bull's blind charge was short as a bull's charge always is when tenebris opened his eyes he saw the dog not ten feet in front of him scampering for dear life toward the river and again tenebris charged three such charges one after another brought pursuer and pursued to within a hundred feet of the water tenebris was not used to running he was getting winded he came to a wavering standstill snorting loudly and pawing up great lumps of sod but he had not stood thus longer than a second before lad was at him burnished shaggy coat of bristle tail delightedly wagging the dog bounded forward he set up an ear-splitting fanfare of barking round and round the bull he whirled never letting up on that deafening volley of barks nipping now at ears now at nose now at heels dodging in and out under the giant's clumsy body easily avoiding the bewilderingly awkward kicks and lunges of his enemy then four feet crouching and muzzle close to the ground like a playful puppy he waved his plumed tail violently and in a new succession of barks wooed his adversary to the attack it was a pretty sight and it set tenebris into active motion at once the bull doubtless thought he himself was doing the driving by means of his panting rushes and by his lurches to one side or another to keep away from the dog's sharp bites but he was not it was lad who chose the direction in which they went and he chose it deliberately presently the two were but fifteen feet away from the river at a point where the bank shelved cliff-like for two or three yards down to a wide pool fainting for the nose lad induced tenebris to lower his tired head then he sprang lightly over the threatening horns and landed a scramble with all four feet on the bull's broad shoulders scurrying along the heaving back the dog nipped tenebris on the hip and dropped to earth again the insult the fresh pain the astonishment combined to make tenebris forget his weariness beside himself with maniac wrath he shut both eyes and launched himself forward lad slipped eel-like to one side carried by his own blind momentum tenebris shot over the bank edge too late the bull looked half sliding half scrambling he crashed down the steep sides of the bank and into the river lad tongue out jogged over to the top of the bank where with head to one side and ears cocked 
he gazed interestedly down into the widely churned pool. Tenebris had gotten to his feet after the ducking, and he was floundering, pastern-deep in stickily soft mud, so tightly bogged down that it later took the efforts of six farmhands to extricate him. The bull continued to flounder and to bellow. A stream of people were running down the meadow toward the river. Lad hated crowds. He made a loping detour of the nearest runners, and sought to regain the spot where last he had seen the mistress and master. Also, if his luck held good, he might still have another bout with the man he had once treed, which would be an ideal climax to a perfect day. He found all the objects of his quest together. The groom, hysterical, was swaying on his feet, supported by Glore. At sight of the advancing collie, the bitten man cried aloud in fear, and clutched his employer for protection. "'Take him away, sir!' he babbled in mortal terror. "'He'll kill me! He hates me! The ugly, hairy devil! He hates me! He tried to kill me once before! He—' "'Hmm,' mused the master. "'So he tried to kill you once before, eh? Aren't you mistaken?' "'No, I ain't!' wept the man. I known him in a million. That's why he went for me again today. He remembered me. I seen he did. That's no dog. It's a devil. Mr. Glore, asked the master, a light dawning, when this chap applied to you for work, did he wear grayish tweed trousers, and were they in bad shape? His trousers were in rags, said Glore. I remember that. He said a savage dog had jumped into the road from a farmhouse somewhere and gone for him. Why? Those trousers, answered the master, weren't entire strangers to you. You'd seen the missing parts of them, on a tree and on the ground near it at the place. Your treasure is the harness thief lad treed the day you came to see me. So— Nonsense! fumed Glore. Why, how absurd! He, I ain't stolen nothing, blubbered the man. I was coming cross lots to a stable to ask for work, and the brute went for me. I had to run up a tree and— And it didn't occur to you to shout for help, sweetly urged the master. I was within call. So was Mr. Glore. So was at least one of my men. An honest seeker for work needn't have been afraid to hello. A thief would have been afraid to. In fact, a thief was. Get out of here, you! roared Glore, convinced at last. You measly sneak thief! Get out, or I'll have you jailed. You're an impostor, a panhandler, a— The thief waited to hear no more. With an apprehensive glance to see that Lad was firmly held, he bolted for the road. Thanks for telling me, said Glore. He might have stolen everything at Glore Towers, if I hadn't found out. He? Yes. He might even have stolen more than the cost of our non-utilitarian lad's keep, unkindly suggested the master. For that matter, if it hadn't been for a non-utilitarian dog, that mad bull's horns, instead of his nostrils, would be red by this time. At least one man would have been killed, perhaps more. So, after all, he stopped. The mistress was tugging surreptitiously at his sleeve. The master, in obedience to his wife's signal, stepped aside to light a cigar. 
i wouldn't say any more dear if i were you the mistress was whispering you see if it hadn't been for lad the bull would never have broken loose in the first place by another half hour that fact may dawn on mr glore if you keep rubbing it in let's go over to the grandstand come lad End of chapter 9 Recording by Greg Giordano